And just like that, we're back. Sometimes I wonder if y'all miss my voice ever. Like, do you ever like go to bed and hear me like you do a snow goose, spring snow goose conservation hunt? You know how you got the MP3s or your Bluetooth played, and it seems like a lot of snow goose hunters go to bed hearing that. I've heard that before. I've went to bed hearing mallards, but y'all go to bed hearing my voice all? Are you so sick of it? But I'm hoping that you keep returning to the podcast because the numbers are showing the growth. It's awesome. I just don't want my voice to wear you out. Hopefully I have a voice for radio because I know I have a face for radio. That's what I've been told. And I believe my partner today, he doesn't, he's got a good looking face. He's a good looking Southern man. He's from the great state of Louisiana, but now he lives in the state of Arkansas. I don't know if it's a greater state, a great state, a good state. Arkansas is a really, really, really good state. A lot of cotton mouse, a lot of them in Louisiana too. What else is Arkansas good for? Let me think of a few things. Flooded timber, rice production, Max Prairie Wings, Fayetteville, one of the coolest college towns ever, Walmart's corporate headquarters are there in Bentonville. A lot of big Fortune 500 companies, J.B. Hunt, several others. What else is Arkansas known for? Razorbacks, Pig Suey. Um, I don't know if they're known for any food. Not turkey hunting. They got some good trout fishing in the White River and other places, fly fishing. Deer hunting, not turkey hunting, no. I don't know what else Arkansas is known for besides... Uh, (laughs) What? Fried pies. Fried pies. Like I've never, sure. I've never, I've never eaten one. But I love our, I love Arkansas. It's known for great business and entrepreneurial spirit of America. I know that that it's it's bred some unbelievable businessmen with unbelievable spirit and passion and leadership skills. Uh, Monica Lewinsky's boyfriend's from there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or is he? Or is he Hillary's husband? I don't know which one of these. Glad is. they don't reside here anymore. <laughs> Where are they at? New York? Yeah. I this think. is another episode of the Foul Life Podcast. And this episode is brought to you by two unbelievable freaking companies. The first one's Gerber. Gerber Gear, Gerber Knives, Gerber Blades, Gerber Edges, Gerber America. My blind bag, my backpacks, my trucks, my UTVs, my four-wheelers, my boats. You name it. My glove compartments. I keep knives everywhere. You never know when you're going to need a serrated knife, a straight knife, a fine blade knife, a multi-tool, a saw, a hatchet, fishing knives, fillet knives. Gerber has them all. They keep their edges. I, I depend on them all the time. I'm always using a Gerber for one thing or another. And I take a lot of pride in my knife. I was throwing on a pair of Dickies work pants today. And I've just felt so awesome putting that knife, you know, the clip that goes down your pocket. I just, I had it on my left pocket on the front side. Doesn't it make you feel cool when you have a knife on? Yeah. Makes me feel like we're going to go do something. Like you're going to go to work, huh? I don't know if you guys recognize this voice shatter, who you know who he is, but I'm sure if you read the description of this episode, you know who the guest is today. Gerber, stay sharp, America. We depend on Gerber. And I love how they support the American hunter and fisher and conservationist and gatherer and provider. And today's episode of the Foul Life Podcast is also brought to you straight out of that state that I was trying to find other really good things about. And I know there's a lot more, so don't touch me on that. I know there's some great country music artists, some great songs, Reba McIntyre, Little Rock, Colin Ray, um, 
Little Rock. Uh, Hayes Carl has a song called Little Rock. Chris Stapleton has a new song called Arkansas that is bad to the bone. Everything he touches is bad to the bone. Today's episode of the Fat Life Podcast is also brought to you by an Arkansas-based company, Northeast Arkansas-based company, Jargon Game Calls, Jargon Duck Calls, and soon to be, I don't even know if I should say it right now. I don't even know. I'm going to have to come out with an announcement, Chris. I'm going to have to make an announcement about what we're getting ready to do in the goose call market because uh, jargon, it's just unbelievable what they've done in duck calls in the last 18 months of my existence in the duck call community, duck call industry, hunting ducks, traveling America's back roads, looking for mallard ducks, puddle ducks, diver ducks, spec snows, Canada's, but the live duck, the chit chat, and the Paradox are the three new J-Frame series calls. The originals were the Small Talk, the Loudmouth, and the Icebreaker. And now we're coming with some goose calls, Speckle Belly, Canada Goose, Lesser Canada Goose. We're coming with new duck call designs, new duck call materials, new instructional stuff for 2021. We can't wait to bring it to you all. So today's episode of the Fowl Eye Podcast is brought to you by two orange brands. You recognize orange brands on stuff like Instagram, Facebook, Gerber runs with orange and Jargon runs with orange. Thank you to our partners and sponsors and thank you to all of our listeners for being loyal and supporting the brands and companies that support our mini brands here with the foul life. But Chris, I'm going to have to get on and say something like I went on national TV and said that I'm never going to build goose calls again, you know, once Tim passed away, but I've had some run-ins with the new management and the new ownership of Tim Ground's calls and, um, you know, disagreements. And that's the way life is. That's the way life goes. I love him. I have a ton of respect for Tim Grounds and what he taught myself and how he supported my goose calling career. But I'm going to go out and I'm going to tell everybody on this podcast and future podcasts and future TV shows that I don't know if I'm really backing off on what I said. It's just that I got to run with a goose call that um, that that supports us and communicates with us and for one reason or another, we've ran into some issues and I love the guys over there, the girls over there. It's one of the greatest brands of all time in, in game calling history. And Tim Grounds was a true mentor to myself, uh, an innovator, a pioneer, a trailblazer in short read goose calls, development, tuning them, building them, designing them, instructing people on how to operate them, contest calling, two-man contest, world contest, meat calling, live goose calling. He won them all. It was Tim Grounds. Come get you some. But um, I'm here to say that I, 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 we're going to get questions, Chris Cifrio, who is our guest today, the owner and co-founder of Jargon Game Calls. Is what I'm saying make sense, Chris? Like, I, I take a lot of pride in the fact that we support Tim Grounds and we have his calls on a lot of things that we do with the foul life and things. But I want to be honest with everybody. I did say that. But I don't I, – what is the word I'm looking for? I'm not – I'm not going to be that guy that just goes out and does it and doesn't say anything. I want to let people know that uh, we are doing it. And here's, it's not why, but I feel comfortable in letting people know, like, we're going to design some awesome calls. But I want everybody to understand that be, for one reason or another, I am taking back what I said about never getting into the goose call business again. Does this make sense at all? And how how would you look at that? Oh, I mean... 
I don't know. I don't know how I'd look at that, but I mean, you know, think about it is I say a lot of stuff. You're not that you're taking stuff back. It's, you know, it's just new things coming to your life and, you know, opportunities coming in your life and you got to, you got to jump on those, you know, but I have the choice right now. I could easily say we're not going into the goose call business because of what I said. We're not going to reinvent the wheel. We're not going to light the world on fire and Canada goose calls and spec goose calls. We're going to have good stuff and we're going to promote them and we're going to do it ethically and morally correct. But we, I do have a choice. I could stick to what I said, but my comfort level on that other side of this fence of working with the company is not there. They're a great company. They're the best goose calls ever made in Tim Grounds. Hunter Grounds is one of the best competition, if not the best competition goose caller of all time. And he knows how to call in and kill Canada geese at very close ranges. But my comfort level in our association relationship isn't there anymore. So I'm telling people that that's one of the reasons I'm moving on. I have an opportunity to develop something here, but I'm not doing it like to go against anybody we're doing it because it naturally fits our business model you know what i'm saying right yeah i mean we're going to just you know on our time on our side we're just going to try to make it you know like you said you can't really make it better i mean there's tons and tons of duck calls out there that are unbelievable but we're just going to make something different put it that way we're going to make something different and we're going to try to hold consistency make sure that everybody uh, is getting a call that's the same as what we're blowing on our lanyards. Uh, that's the thing we're aiming after. And, and it, of course, customer support. We're going to try to take care of everybody, make sure if the IN questions, whatnot, we're going to take care of. If you have a problem with your call, we're going to take care of. You know, that's what we're aiming for, just to be a company that basically people know that, hey, at the end of the day, you know, there's a lot of companies out there that, you know, they sell great stuff, but their customer service is just not there. So, um, not to say, you know, the company you were with, the customer service wasn't there, but that that being said, we're going to make sure that we do it, you know, even better or as good as as they're doing it. So uh, we're going to try to, you know, of course, designs, tunes, you know, what we're after is to make sure that a call that, you know, the guy that's on, John David's on with us, he's basically one, a hell of a goose caller. You're a hell of a goose caller. I mean, there's a bunch of little things that trick on. I'm not a goose caller. But I know how to run a goose call, okay? I'm going to get better and better and better. But I know the mechanics of it to put it together and to make it run right. But uh, making, you know, guts that are basically broken guts, we're going to make sure that our guts stay true to from from the, from the, store, the day you buy one to the day you basically put it down or pass it on to your grandkids or your kids or whatever. We're going to make sure them guts stay right in line and perfect um, and crisp straight out of the box until the day you quit, you know, blown on that call. That's the big thing with John David. You know, he's very, very knowledgeable when it comes to guts and, you know, what it takes to make those guts, you know, to perfection, you know, to keep them broke in and, and not break past the break in period. So that's what we're aiming at. We're just trying to make it just a little bit better than the next guy. And, or I say a lot better than the next guy, but, our customer service is a heck of a lot better than any any other company out there is what we're trying to do. We have great customer service, but how do you answer most short read goose calls are built the same. You know, it's the same idea of the read and the guts and the shape and 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 how the functionality of that call is designed to produce realistic 
jargon of the Canada goose and the subspecies of the Canada goose. I don't know if there's a way to change up the way that Joe Lairs did with his sound profile of his duck calls. And where I'm going with this, Chris Cifrio, is that I take a lot of slack. Um, and I don't know if you do, but I'm out there a little bit more, you know, where people can get get at me and say things like, we knocked off Joe Lairs. We copied Joe Lairs' idea of he's a machining genius, right? That's what he made his name in in dental and designing pieces of for the dental industry. Um, but I hear still to this day, even though it's not a knockoff, we're going to hear this about goose calls. Belding said he'll never go into goose calling again. Belding said this, um, to each their own, they can say what they want. Um, but does it bother you as the guy that that came up with these gut systems for the duck calls to hear that? Do you just wear it with, you know, just wear it and let it, you know, roll off your shoulder, off your sleeve? Or is there a way to tell people, no, we didn't knock Joe Lairs off. I love Joe Lairs. I think JJ Lairs Duck Call Company is unbelievable. Their new owner, Brent Crow, who's a buddy, is an um, Brett Crow is an unbelievable duck caller, meat and Main Street, competed for years. Won a lot of contests, single and two man. Comes from a great family in Chico, California, but it's free enterprise. Did we knock off Joe Lairs? No. And the the biggest thing, if if somebody would come in the shop or come through all the years and all the hours and so forth that it has taken me to build the calls that I have, they would understand that. I don't I don't do stuff old school and. Not to say that I, I wouldn't like to or I should or whatnot. I don't do stuff old school as far as getting out there, sanding, uh, sanding on a tone board, shaping it out, um, you know, and, and finding the perfect sound and then taking that call and basically replicating it over and over again. That's not how I've done it. Uh, I come from a machining background. Uh, and what I do so I can know that I can replicate it every single time is I'll get on CAD system and I'll start making little slight tweaks over and over again. And to be honest with you, from where we started at, me and my brother, building the first duck call to where it is now, we took a duck call, started putting a hole in it, started taking the exhaust, moving the exhaust around, moving the tone board around. And I can tell you, if you would see my tone board and how it's revolutionized over the years, you know, you would see the slow growth of how I made it better and better and better and better. And that's what I'm always trying to do. I have a problem when it does come to tinkering with stuff. I want to make sure that I'm just making it to perfection. And, and so that tone board that I have uh, that's in a loud mouth, a small talk, and a uh, icebreaker, uh, basically it was the same tone board. The icebreaker is just a little bit you know, smaller as far as groove to where you can put the wedge in. But that is based off of a, a tone board that I had back in the day called the Butcher with red leg waterfowl. And I took that tone board and just slowly started modifying it, modifying it, modifying it. And, and, you know, I didn't have it to perfection. I wanted it to be there and I kept on modifying and modifying it. If you can ask my cat guy, you could see how many times I've modified that thing. I know it's well over 150 times to try to just bring a little bit more out of it over and over again. And that's where that call was came from. You know, it's not from a JJ J- 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 Lairs or whatever or 
what everybody, everybody's saying that I knocked off this or knocked off that, you know, I try to be original. Um, my exhaust, you know, you can take a call side by side and, and I haven't seen, you know, I've seen a couple at your place of JJ, JJ layers, but I know my exhaust, everybody tells me my exhaust is totally different. The sound's different. The, the barrel's different. The way it goes together is different. Uh, I try to be original, but that being said, you can't really too much. If we really wanted to get critical about it, we could really start naming, you know, naming off tons of call makers that would be per se, you know, uh, copied from each other because there's not been a whole lot of reinventing the wheel, uh, you know, as far as on a J frame, uh, on the, on the wedge design and so forth. There's a ton of people that have made it before us, uh, at the end of the day, it all comes down to, and if people really knew how the duck call worked, slight, slight adjustments by just running over a slightly over sandpaper will change that call completely. Thousands of an inch will change that call completely. How your exhaust is, I can take and put an exhaust on a call and just, you know, lengthen it at a sixteenth to eighth of an inch, and it's going to change that call completely. So minor adjustments will change that call. And I think if you put this call side by side and you blew it side by side, you realize right off the bat that, hey, look, yeah, although the concept is pretty close, being that it's got a wedge in it and the tone board goes in it and the exhaust is, you know, totally separated from it, uh, it's a totally different call. Totally are, there, different call are, there, are there other duck calls out there that have that same description that you just ended that statement with? There's a ton of duck calls out there. I know uh, Mulgear's you know, made it. I know... Uh, Kelly Powers with um, Power Calls has a wedge design. Their call don't sound nothing like a JJ Lairs, and their call doesn't. It's it's basically got the same wedge, you know, or wedge design. Um, I know they make one of their calls with a titanium tone board, you know, which is awesome. Uh, I know the machining on titanium has got to be out of this world as far as expensive and a lot of tools and so forth. Um, we choose to use, you know, clear acrylic uh, on our tone boards. Uh, just because clear is very, very, very consistent. Over and over again, we're going to get this consistent sound out of it. That's on our on our uh, wedge designs is what we use clear on our J frames. Believe it or not, but people, a lot of people that are in the call world, they'll they know call makers know that different materials, different colors, will produce a different sound. Now I know that sounds odd. All of it's acrylic, but take for instance like Mallard Green. Mallard Green softer. So mallard green is going to be more of a, a raspier, mellow sound. Um, it gives it a really, really good duck in, in mallard green. Black is a pretty consistent color. Ivory is a pretty consistent color. You start getting in translucent red, translucent blue, translucent green. All those colors are pretty hard. So they, they make a higher pitch sound. Um, but even though you get acrylic, you still, by color, you it is going to produce a slightly different sound from each other. So, you know, there's tons of people, everybody that's building duck calls out there, and there's tons and tons and tons of manufacturers now building duck calls. Um, we could sit there and say everybody's knocking off each other. But I think everybody took the concept and said, okay, well, this is a J-frame. I'm going to make J-frame calls. I'm going to put a cork in there. You know, when you do do a cork call, you're, th you're basically your wedge, where your wedge goes in, your cork goes in, that slot right there, if you change that three or four thousandths of an inch and it pushes too hard down your reed or it's not enough pressure on your reed, that will change the call. 
And that's what we call about being a call being flat. A call becomes flat and flat sounding on a J frame whenever you take and your, your actual cork wears out and starts to dry out, get wet, dry out, get wet. It'll actually wear out and it'll become basically compressed down. And when it does that, it'll take that reed and it'll lay that reed flat. That's what a flat sounding call and a flat call is. That's why you need to change your cork out periodically, depending on how, how much you hunt, depending on how much you come in and out from hot, to, um, from cold to hot inside the house. You might have the heat on full blast. A lot of people, whenever they come home, first thing they do is they take their calls and they pull them apart and they let them dry out. And that's good to do, but you got to keep in mind that by doing that, you're going to, you're going to be shortening the life of that cork in that call. Um, on a plastic wedge, a lot of people think on a plastic wedge that you won't wear that out. They're pretty tune free, pretty close to being tune free. But over and over again, going in and out from heat, you can eventually wear that plastic wedge out too, especially if you're taking it in and out of the, uh, of the insert during the hunt. You'll actually take that plastic, because acrylic, of course, is plastic. You'll actually wear that plastic out to where your wedge will not be fitting in there as tight as it should be. Everything on a duck call is, comes down to pressure as far as on that reed, on that wedge. That wedge pushing down on that reed is gonna create a pressure and that pressure's gotta be perfect in order for it to sound right, to run right, and, and to basically not be airlocking, um, you know, to be able to get all the different sounds out of it. So there's a lot that goes into duck call. It's not just taking and, and like everybody thinks that you just go and uh, copy somebody's call and put stuff together and just run with it. No, I mean, there's a ton that goes in it. You got to know the mechanics of a call. You got to know how things go and how, how it ticks. So um, not to say we're, we're perfect at it, but we try and uh, we, we give her all and we try to build the best duck call. And, the, and we're, now we're going to try to build the best goose call possibly out there. And I think we're, I know we're going to do it. We just, you know, we're, gonna, we're not going to release it till it's perfect. So, um, so how do I explain to how do I explain to people in a 2021 politically correct way that we are doing it and here's why like I did have a connection to Tim. I really did. Tim was a good dude and 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 my my hunting career took me different paths. You know, whether you want to say, you know, I I worked with Freddie Zink, filmed with Freddie Zink for years and then the foul life came about. And then I, I started Banded back in 2008 and nine with Banded Productions, and that soon became Banded Gear and then Banded Calls, and then it Banded just started growing. And then it came became what people know as Banded now starting in 2011, but really in 2014. Um, when, you, when you have that mindset of, you know, wanting to build something, you know, Fred Zink started building Goose Calls. But he also used to blow Tim grounds in competition and hunt with Tim. He was in all kinds of videos with Tim or traveling with Tim or working shows for Tim. Jeff Foyles was a Tim grounds guy. Then he started Foyles Migrators. I could name more guys that went off. Sean Stahl was a Tim grounds guy. He went to Buck Gardner. He went to Rich and Tone. He went to Zinc. He went to Stahl or not. Uh, he went to Foyles too. He was with a bunch of them. Um, Scott Trinan was a Tim grounds guy. Started Molt Gear. Kelly Powers was the biggest Tim ground guys of all time. Started power calls. So 
I had a connection with Tim, but I don't have a connection with the new company, the new ownership. That's just the truth. It, for whatever reasons, it's nobody's fault. And we're not going to put a dent in the, the business that Tim Grounds Calls does. I just feel like my life is better suited to go another route now. And I want people to know before the, the, the webs or the message boards or whatever's going on in the digital world today or social media lights up with what I did say. I know I said it. So nobody's going to come to me and go, but you said this. I know I was, I watched the episode again last night. It's a Colorado episode. I'm killing geese on the front range and we do a, uh, we're playing a song by Zach Brown and Sir Roosevelt at the end called the greatest. And all of a sudden it says in memory of Tim Grounds. And it shows Tim and Christian Curtis at NWTF. And it shows t me blowing Tim Grounds calls. And it shows Tim doing his thing. And it's awesome. It was a great memorial for Tim. I have a shadow box built here that's all Tim Grounds stuff. I love the idea of my friendship of what I have with Tim Grounds. But people go different routes in business. You owned your own duck call company. And you decide to go another route with this jargon idea. Right? Was it worth it? Absolutely. So Absolutely. my point is, is that to each their own people, Fred Zink has done unbelievable things in the waterfowl industry. We could all agree on that from his videos, his innovative way to film ducks and geese with the 24 seven series and his DVDs, his um, ability to be a seminar speaker, his ability to design product, his ability to carve decoys and work with carvers and texture decoys and paint decoys, come up with different materials. He was part of the Greenhead Gear Revolution, the Avery Revolution, the Avery Finisher Blind. He used to work with Ron Latshaw and all the guys at Final Approach that pretty much invented the laydown or coffin blind, field hunting style blind with, with doors. You talk, you listen to my my podcast with Freddie, he talks about the, the pro guide and the eliminator back in the day with the sliding door that you slid down. You could carry, you had to have the three guys to carry one. My point is, is that Fred Zink very easily could have just said, sat idle and said, I'm just going to blow Tim Grounds calls all the time. And I'm just going to pro staff for Avery. But no, he went out and started Zink calls, uh, then Zink Outdoors, a catalog service. Selling Duck Commander, selling his calls. It was the SR1 and the XR1, Extreme Realism, and SR was uh, Superb Realism, I think. The Goose Call was the SR1. The XR1, I believe, was the, the Double Reed Duck Call. But then he had Tim Grounds calls in there. He had bags in there. He was doing his thing, right? Then all of a sudden, he got on with Tom Matthews and Avery, and that's when Greenhead Gear started to blow up. And all of the decoys started to come out with greenhead gear. They had never had decoys before. Then there was something that happened with Avery and Fred Zink. And Freddie goes over here and says, I'm a businessman. I, I, I'm a, I want to drive something. Something was not working out with his relationship with Avery greenhead gear. So he goes over here and starts Avian X. I think it paid off for the man. TV show called Avian X. His zinc calls, line of duck and goose calls, and then his decoys, which he blew the turkey market out of the water with his, his turkey team. He was so smart in the guys that he gathered together to build his turkey call line. And then the turkey decoys that he came out with blew the, blew the doors off of everything out there. <laughs> Looked as good as a Dave Smith for a lot you know, more affordable. He ends up selling that company to Plano Synergy, the Busbus family, making some money. Whether it was – whether – He'll ever get back into it? I don't know. There's non-competes. There's all kinds of stuff. I I get how business runs in most aspects, but he still went out and did his thing. My point is, is that it's it wasn't to get back at Avery. It wasn't to get back at anybody. He didn't want to see Tim Grounds hurt because he was starting his own. 
Tim Grounds was an influence and an innovator and an inspiration to Fred Zink, right? So not everybody gets into this and goes, oh man, I'm going to start my own call company. Oh man, I'm going to start my own D company. If that was the case, there's 2.5 million duck hunters in the country. There's, let's say turkey hunters, 4 million turkey hunters. Not all 4 million of them have their own decoy company and their own call company. Those guys that go out and take that risk to build something, whether it's better or different, the money that goes into the investment part, the risk that you quit your job to go start your own. If that was the case, Chris, everybody would be doing it. It's the guys that can do it and build a brand and build something that's worth it. You know what? Like a jargon duck call is unbelievable. It's the best duck call on the market. Hands down. I'll say it. You might not want to, but I'll say it. It truly is the best duck call on the market. I'm going to blow these for you. This is, I got this new loudmouth right here with the new tone board. Um, but what I'm saying is that if these Tim Grounds did not invent the goose call, he didn't even invent the short recall. He just went on his own and started mastering it. Okay. Will Primos didn't invent the deer call or the duck call. And look what Primos calls did. To each their own. If you have the ability and you have the mindset and you have that focus and that energy to say, I'm going to go drive this and I'm going to build a brand, then go do it. I've had people quit me and say, I'm going to go build my own TV show. Good. More, go do it. As long as you do it the right way and you don't backdoor somebody and say, oh, I'm going behind Tim's and I'm going to take all of Tim's calls ideas and I'm going to hire all his people. I'm not, that's, that, that's not ethical. I'm just telling people that we are going into the goose call business and here's why. We have a good idea. We have a good brand. We have great callers that are ready to go with us. We have an unbelievable idea of what our goose call line wants to be and what we want it to be and what it's going to be. And my relationship with Tim Grounds Calls is not strong enough to keep me there. It's that simple. If it was, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Okay, we're, we're not going to make enough money in goose calls for me to look at the rest of the United States and go, you know what, I'm done. I'm washing my hands. I'm going to the BVIs and I'm sitting in a yacht all day. That's not what this is about. This is about being an entrepreneur and wanting to drive a brand and come out with a line of goose calls. And, and that's what I want people to know. It's not about getting back at anybody. It's just the move that I'm ready to make. And, and for everything that Tim stood for and what, and what the company stood for and what they've done for the industry, I'll always believe that. I will still operate Tim Ground's goose calls a lot of the times. I still do. I mean, I'll show you my lanyard right now. I should go get it. It's got, but it's got a, an overhauler on it right now. So there's nothing going to change. It's, I got my own barbecue rubs, you know, but I still am going to run other rubs, Traeger rubs and meat church rubs and whiskey bent rubs. I'm still going to run those rubs just because I had a good idea and I met the right people to put me in that space. I think the provider rubs are going to be unbelievable, but they're not going to be reinventing the wheel. Shit, man, you can make a hamburger taste good with just salt and pepper. It's all a mindset of, can you run it and drive it and build a brand? And I feel like that's our next step. So that is a little bit long winded, but I don't, I'm hoping I don't hear from people that, oh, you said this. Guys, girls, I know I said it. You, know, you follow what I'm saying, Chris Cifrio? Oh, yeah, yeah. And I can tell you, I can kind of hit on that a little bit too. You know, there's nothing wrong with having a combination of calls on the lantern. I can tell you that. And we tell people all the day, okay? Get a loud mouth, get a small talk, get a chit chat, whatever you want to get, okay? I blow, I have on my lanyard a loud mouth, a small talk. And most likely, a lot of times, I'll switch in and on and off a chit-chat, a live duck, and a paradox, all depending. But what I do, the reason why I had that, and the reason why I carry just three calls in my lanyard is, is that depending on the situation, 
And depending on what the birds want to hear, believe it or not, ducks, geese, speckle everything, they want to hear something different on certain days. You know, if you ever figure them out, let me know, because I'd love to know. But that being said, you can figure them out. And, and that's what's so awesome about hunting waterfowl is, is that every day is different. So, you know, to have all kinds of different calls on your lanyard, you know, is a great asset to have while you sit in the woods or where, wherever you might be hunting at. It all comes down to you might want to you might blow a Tim Grouse call. You might blow a Jordan call. You might blow whoever's call it may be that day and they might react to it. And then you put a bird birds on your on your on your lanyard and you heading home. Doesn't matter how you kill them at the end of the day. Really, it matters about, hey, look, did it happen? Did you do it? Were you able to accomplish it? Were you able to make the make a, a lethal close in kill? So then it does so that it does so that it does matter how you kill them, Chris. You just contradicted yourself. Is it okay no. to sky is it okay to sky bust them at 60 yards as long as they're dead? Yeah, no, it, it does. Yeah, it does matter how can, close you kill them. I'm can, saying it doesn't matter how you what you kill them with, what I mean. You mean how it doesn't, doesn't matter how it, what you brought them in with. Okay, as long as you're ethical and you're calling at them and you're working them into the decoy spread and, and seeing them done right, there's nothing wrong with jump shooting. There's nothing wrong if you're a kid growing up or a guy, you know, jump shooting wood duck or whatever. I get that. I've learned my lesson yeah. on that. It's fine. But there is an issue in shooting over your limit. There is an issue. Oh, absolutely. There is an issue at shooting them before shooting light and shooting them in the dark. There is an issue at shooting past shooting light. There is an issue at shooting them too tall and crippling birds and educating yeah. birds. Getting more proficient with a duck call or a jargon call or a JJ Lair's calls or a zinc call or a what just a rich and tone call or an echo call or an elite call they're mastering that to get them tight reading the body language what you're saying is learning to call and sounding like ducks goes along with reading body language and posturing and knowing what to say when and how much to say and how loud or how soft to say it, right there's so much that goes in to being a complete duck hunter and especially a duck call operator it's right. it's never ending the vocabulary is very minimal the vocabulary of a Canada goose is so much more substantial and diversified. It's it's huge. Ducks right. only say a couple things, but to get that sound right and that timing right and those cadences right takes a lifetime of practice, a lifetime of it. So I see what you're saying. I just wanted to make sure that the listeners yeah, knew you weren't saying by any means. To, yeah, what I was trying to say is, is it doesn't matter what call you use to bring in that foul at, at close quarters. It doesn't matter at the end of the day, as long as you were able to accomplish that. You know, like I said, some days when different harmonics calls put off different harmonics, you know, each call does. It doesn't matter if you have somebody basically with a with a with a, a timber call right beside you, it's gonna put off a different harmonic by a different manufacturer. That's why you make them. That's why we make them. We want to make them different, we want to make them different sounding put off a different harmonic. And some days, like I said, I'll be blowing a loud mouth. They might not be responding to a loud mouth as much as they would blowing a paradox or a live duck or a chit chat or whatever it might be. That's what I'm saying is it doesn't matter how many duck calls you have on your lantern. If you want one mixed in, if you got a Zinx calls, you got to mix in with a Jorgen and you're blowing a Jorgen and you put that down and you pick up a Zinx, well, they might've wanted that harmonic that day. It puts off a thing. But I can tell you this is that we pretty much got it covered as far as on you know, timber all the way up to an open water. But whatever suits you, 
you know, go with it. You know, we're not trying, again, we're not, we didn't reinvent the wheel by no means, but we did make a different sound. We do have a different sound. Everybody that's come with me and everybody that's hunted, especially with the loud mouth, the small talk and the live ducks and the chit chat, whatever, it puts off a different sound, a different harmonic. And ducks respond on ter- certain days to different harmonics. And that's just my opinion. I've seen it out in the woods. I've seen them react to me. I've had my buddies tell me the same thing. Same thing with a cut down call. Cut down calls are unique. You know, I think they're starting to get ducks are, you know, starting to become accustomed to cut down calls more than they did, say, 10 years ago. But a lot more people are blowing cut down calls nowadays than they did back 10 years ago. And things are changing. I don't think they were responding as good as they once did. Yeah, certain days they still do. But of course, it comes back to the pressure thing too. Is you know there is more pressure. There's no ducks in Arkansas anywhere, huh? There's no ducks in Arkansas anywhere. (laughs) It's been pretty bad for the past five years. I'll be honest with you. It's you know something's changed. I'll tell you this: there's a there's a ton of ducks here right now. Isn't that isn't that weird? Well. Everybody always says that. We got to move back to season. We got to move it back to February, right? I don't think it's because the ducks just all of a sudden showed up two days after the season closed. They just aren't hiding anymore. Exactly. They're, exactly. Not, getting, they're not getting nailed on the up. head right there. They're, 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 they're smart enough to know how to make to rub it in on a on a, a genuine Arkansas Southern man, Southern woman duck hunter. I promise you that's what they're doing. Well, watch a field. You could take them field and you put one duck in there. Here comes five more. Here comes 10 more. Before long, there's three or 4,000 in that field, right? Well, it doesn't take long when you're not hunting a spot for them to start grouping up in there. I mean, I told a guy today, you know, ducks are no different than a human being. They like to eat, sleep, and drink. That's three things that they want to do and they have to do to survive. And so if they can find a place to rest and not be disturbed, they're going to sit tight. If they have food there, that's even a bonus. If they got water, that's even a bonus, and they're probably not leaving. You know, so, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think that February comes and the ducks just show up. I really do believe we had a lot of ducks here. We didn't have the bulk of the ducks because, I mean, of course, they're doing surveys during the whole time, you know, during the season here in Arkansas. But I think that uh, we're just – we're putting a little more pressure on them, and they're hiding a little better. They really are. They got a lot so, of ch- – they got it's easy to hide in those trees. I mean, they they figure out a, a little patch of trees to go in that they can get comfortable in. They'll keep going there. It seems though that there's less and less places they can go without pressure though in Arkansas. It seems like they're getting hunted everywhere they would go there as far as any timber that gets wet. Is would that be safe to say you think? Do you think what now? Say it again. I just think that. For the most part, Arkansas, the huntable places, okay, the Grand Prairie, which is Memphis, Tennessee to the west towards Little Rock, and then you cut down halfway across the state on I-40, which covers all of that Jonesboro, Searcy, Bald Knob, all that area. Then you come down, you know, all the way through that entire part of Arkansas that gets you down to Stuttgart, and then south of Stuttgart to the Louisiana border. Um, I would think that most places that have trees on them that – can be flooded are being hunted or do you think that that's not a true statement 
Yeah, that's definitely a true statement. Well, then where I mean, can ducks go to be safe in Arkansas? They're not going into fields to be safe or you'd see them. Where are they going well, to be safe? That's why a lot of people have questioned, you know, and I don't know exactly how I feel about it, but I think a duck in, in its natural state is going to find a way to elude hunters, okay? So I don't think that we have to basically uh, – we don't have to help out on Orion to get them to elude hunters and helping out by what I mean by helping out is, is setting up fields or setting up places for them to stage and so forth. Um, I think on their own, they're going to find a place to elude hunters without the human going out there and setting up places for them to elude hunters. Does that make sense? Yeah. hundred percent. And so what I think is, is, that you got to give it to them, give them credit. They didn't figure it out. And they're figuring out more and more every year, you know, a duck imprints where they talk about a duck imprinting in a place. You go in a place, you leave them alone, you leave a duck alone, you put food in there, you put water in there, you let them rest. They're going to imprint in that place. You know, that's what a lot of places do. A lot of clubs do that and so forth. I mean, it's legal. So you can't blame them. I don't blame them. But at the end of the day, I think a lot of those places that, maybe DU and Delta Waterfowl and all these places are setting up, the state setting up. I think that is putting a hamper on uh, – Rick Dunn said it the other day, and I watched a little episode with him. He said that imagine Arkansas is a pie, and everybody can get a slice. You take start taking slices off of that pie, okay? And you give a slice here to say – a sanctuary by the Cash River. You give a slice over here to Dave Donaldson, around Dave Donaldson, you give a slice basically in all different places. Well, there's back in the day, there was there was a lot of enough ducks to go around. But more and more, everybody's wanting to kill ducks. Everybody's wanting to form and, and practice, and that's awesome. It's getting the sport involved. But I think what's happening is there's just not enough ducks on that pie to go around anymore. There's not enough slices to hand out anymore. Well, a lot of that I think has to do with reputation. I think that as long as it took, you know, whether it was the world duck or the, the, the story of the ducks falling onto main street with the cold snap, you know, way up in the sky, calling ourselves the duck capital of the world, the mallard duck capital of the world, there's been times when you can't find a parking spot on the street in front of Max, in the parking lot, the side parking lot, the rear parking lot. You can't get in the store. Did they do it to themselves? Because I've had this conversation, probably with you, but with several people about, is there anywhere else in the country that Americans and out of state, out of country guys, Europeans, international guys, South Americans, Canadians, is there anywhere else in the country besides maybe a little bit in North Dakota in October? Because a lot of Minnesotans go there. A lot of Iowans go there. A lot of Wisconsinites go there. Um, a lot of South Dakotas go there. A lot of Montanas go there. Not as many Montanas. They're chasing archery deer. But is there anywhere else in the country that people flock to that actually travel, like get in an airplane and fly with their gun? To get out. I know they go to Iowa for deer and Illinois and Pike County, Illinois for deer. I know they go to Colorado for elk and deer. I know some go to Montana and Wyoming. I know that Americans go to Canada. 
But I bet you more people go to Arkansas from America every year to hunt ducks than they do to go to Alberta, Manitoba, Ontario, and Saskatchewan combined. I'll bet you they do. I bet you more go to Arkansas every year just to hunt ducks with all the outfitters. Then on top of the outfitters, you add in all the locals that are more diehard than any other duck hunters in the world. Then you add on top of that all the oil from Texas and money guys coming from there in Oklahoma to lease up fields in Arkansas to hunt. The pressure was brought on because they wanted people to come there. They wanted people to enjoy that culture. But in the long run, the, the people that live there, the government once a couple years ago that was voted, you tell me if I'm wrong, that residents cannot hunt public timber except for certain time, time frames now. Non-residents can't. Non-residents, yeah. Non-residents yeah. cannot hunt public timber in Arkansas certain, for certain times. 30 on, days. They get 30 days. Then on top of that... Then on top of that, you will tell um, – I want to make sure that I say this right. You have non-residents not being able to, to hunt there for 30 days or whatever, but you also have this onslaught of people that are coming there to hunt the same ducks that might go to those public areas – that are getting an opportunity to hunt them that would not do that if they weren't from that state. So you want us there, come here and enjoy the Arkansas culture. There's only so many slices of that pie and so many ducks to fill that pie. But now you're telling us to get out because now the locals are pissed, whether it's flooded corn, whether it's refuges, whether it's migration routes changing to the West and they're all in Oklahoma and Southeast Kansas now. What gives? The real reason they're not in Arkansas anymore could be that they got shot at too much. What? It's got to be that. Y'all asked for it. You're not from there. You're from Louisiana. You moved there probably because of ducks. Why did you move I there? I mean, I moved with the migration, to be honest with you. And that's what's so sad to say. I said, I saw the so you're gonna live in So you're going to live in Oklahoma in, in six months from now? No. <laughs> I think I'm staying here. Uh you know, I'll just wait it out and hopefully it gets better. But that being said, I moved because I watched the same thing happen in Louisiana. Well, I'm seeing the same thing happen in Louisiana over here that I saw there. And it's sad. It really is. But it comes down to, in my opinion, is, is that we have the habitat here. We have the places here. But at any given time, you can go to any public land. And I hate to say it, but if you look at a map and you really stare at it, you can see that most of the timber, most of the hardwoods, and most of the places by the rivers and so forth is either a WMA or NWR. And that they hold a lot of birds. I mean, you take White River NWR. It is, it is said to hold the – used to – used to hold most, most all the mallards that migrated down – would go to White, White River NWR. They would hold the most mallards at the White River NWR. We used to kill the most mallards. I don't know if that's still true to this day, but we used to have the biggest harvest numbers on mallards in the whole state. At any given time, we'd have 1.2 to 1.4 million mallards here in the state of Arkansas. Now, I think we were at around 500,000 this year on their account, which is below half. 40, 35, 40% of what we normally winter here was here this year. 
What is next year going to be? What's the next year going to be? And I've seen this slow trend just slowly trickle down. And I hate to say it, but I really do believe it happened to the public land guys about five years ago and before. And now it's starting to happen to the private land guys. And I really do believe, and not knocking on anybody that's doing it, but I really do believe not that not that they're short stopping ducks up north, but they're get, having better farming practices for ducks up north, which is therefore keeping ducks around. Well, there's also something to be said that the winters are mild. I mean, yeah, winters are mild. But I'll tell you this: I didn't have no problem killing ducks in the '90s. And going into, you know, 2000, 2007, 8, no problem killing ducks. And I've we had some mild, mild winters. But there wasn't that much corn up north as there is now. Right. That's what I'm saying. It's it's You can't just say it's one thing. All I'm saying it's is that they were killing mallard ducks in North Dakota the week before Christmas this year. That is when Arkansas is supposed to be lights out. That's when that funnel yep. effect is supposed to be down at the bottom of that funnel. They start wide up in the Dakotas and they funnel down into the Grand Prairie and the White River, the Cache, the Black. They all empty out into the Mississippi. That Mississippi flyaway and the Missouri River is supposed to be full of ducks at that time. They're killing them up in Montana or Montana and North Dakota like they're going out of style in December. Well, so what does that tell you? That, that just tell, what it tells me. That tells me that if a duck has open water and can get to food, he ain't going anywhere. Or she's not going anywhere. But the reason why they've changed, in my opinion, is because we need to get back to being natural. It's there. A duck is, again, is just like a human being. You give them food, you give them water, you give them a place to rest, and they ain't going nowhere. They ain't stupid. So you're saying there's too many many duck clubs? It's not duck clubs. I think that um, it's like, say, for instance, this. Somebody comes to your house and they're eating and you run out of food, they're going to the next door. Are they going down the to the road down the road? You go to a restaurant and they say, Hey, we're out of shrimp oh boys or we're out of whatever you might be going there to eat. You're going to another place to eat. And so as long as there's food there, as long as there's water and rent place to rest, but the biggest thing about it is, is is you can't have a place. Ducks naturally came down and they would find a place to eat and they find a place to rest and they move on down and they'd find another place and they keep on moving on down. Nowadays, they don't have to leave areas. They don't have to leave a place that's got corn that's on a slanted, you know, field. It's on a hillside, and they just flood that corn and keep bringing the level of the water up throughout the season. Their duck corn throwing corn out in the water, in my opinion, is worse than having a corn on a stalk. A corn on a stalk is not going to rot. It's not going to sour. It's that's duck food for the rest of the season as long as the water don't get over the top of that ear of corn. But you take corn and you throw it in the water, it's gonna sour, especially if it starts to get a little hot, it won't take long and that corn's gonna sour. And so ducks know that if you got a field, you got stalks, corn stalks, and you flood it, if as long as that water don't raise, man, if it's a thousand acre field or 500 acre field, some of these fields up north are humongous. They'll have food the rest of the season. You know, I don't blame the guys out there that are doing it by no means. I'm not saying anything against them because if I was right there with them and I had a thousand acres, I'd be doing the same thing as long as it's legal. But I think we need to look back 
I think it's the Migratory Bird Treaty Act or whatever. We need to look back and we need to research and, and, and try to do better. Just try to figure out what we can do because before long, you take, you know, prairie wings, you take wild wings, you take all those different clubs around here. They're going to start suffering too. And they're already starting to see the effects of it. And if we don't do something now and we don't figure out something now, I think eventually these birds are going to get into one spot and they're going to conjugate in these different fields, maybe a cornfield or something. And eventually some kind of flu, bird flu or something or disease is going to wipe out the whole population. Not maybe not necessarily every single one of them, but it's going to put a dent in it. It's not, if you take and put all your eggs in one basket, what happens? Everybody always says, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Well, it's basically what a lot of these clubs are doing and a lot of these places are doing. A lot of these sanctuaries on WMAs, on NWRs, they're, they're holding all these birds. And all it does is take one disease to go through there and it'll wipe out every single bird in there. I think we're setting ourselves up for, for failure in the future. And I think we need to get back to letting it, let it go the natural way. You know, let it start getting back to, hey, look, they're going to find food and so forth. If you got a field and, and it's got, you got to harvest that crop. I don't care if you go in and you flood it after, but you got to at least harvest it. I just think that that's going to get it back to where they can, they can get back natural. And I believe the people that are doing it are like, oh, well, I'm, I'm flooding my cornfield and I'm, I'm killing ducks. Eventually, when it starts to get into your pockets and starts hitting you and starts hitting it to where you can't kill ducks or you don't see ducks, then you start to realize, you know, but I got people in Missouri this year told me the same thing. It's getting tough. Slowly but surely, every year it's getting a little tougher, a little tougher, a little tougher. So, so I don't get know. back to natural. Get back to natural. Get back to being natural. I'm going to blow a duck call every time you say something that has a lot of substance to it that makes sense. I like that. Get back to natural. So when I cut you off with the duck call, that was a loud mouth. How'd that sound? Was that okay? Sound great. It cut off just a little bit at the end. but Did it. Um, Question. When you start thinking about, you said something like put all your eggs in a basket and it got me thinking about some pictures I would see on social this year. Is there too many people for a hunt group? Meaning, if if you know they're in a hole in Arkansas, is it okay for to stack that hole with 15, 18, 20 guys just because they're in there? They, they're they going to get them. Flock comes in, guns just ring, 60 ducks come in. I mean, there's ducks falling everywhere, some cripples getting away, whatever. I get it. Oklahoma, peanut fields. They're in a peanut field. I saw pictures of outfitters with 25 guys in a hunt. They get their all their groups in there because they got a field with them in there. It's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of education. That's a lot of telling those ducks, you know, you shouldn't be comfortable in the peanut field anymore. You're going to get a war zone coming up in here. I'm all about party hunting. I know that that's part of part of waterfowl hunting that we all love, right? There's a lot of gray area there with the feds and the state agencies of of game wardens and and, and wildlife officers and, and policing it, but. Is there too many for a hunt group? In your opinion, Chris, is that okay to stack a hole with 15 guys just because they're in there, just because you want the big numbers? One, I know you're going to eat the ducks, I hope. Two, it's going to make a pretty picture. 
That picture in Arkansas, they're all laid out on that long log, and then everybody's down at the end, and the pictures, you can't tell who's on the hunt because the camera's got to be so wide because the duck line is so long that you don't even know who's there. There's no personality to the picture except a bunch of dead ducks, and that's good if it's memories on the wall. I get writing stories and making memories, but is that too many? I know you've done it. I'm sure you've done it. I don't know for a fact you have. I take that back. But is it okay that you see these pictures coming out of Oklahoma or Kansas in the cornfield and there's 15 guys? Most guys, most guys I've ever hunted with, is, I think there was one time we hunted 17 people. Now, we were hunting a huge lake um, when we did hunt 17 people. Uh, we killed almost 17 limits of ducks. The ducks were here. I mean, they were big time. It was iced over. Nothing else was, was open. And we got on this, this lake that had a slough going through it. And we, we end up killing close to 17 limits. Do I think that, you know, to be honest with you, at the end of the day, it wasn't, it wasn't any, it was fun to see groups. It was fun to have that many callers and work and sound like a raft of birds. But it, the, the one point that it wasn't fun is, is that, you know, everybody just shoots out there. Of course, you have 17 guns shooting a flock of mallards and, and you're going to kill some birds. You're going to knock down some birds. And you don't know who killed what or so forth a lot of times. So, uh, you know, do I think it's right? One thing I kind of, I stand for is, is that I don't like the government or anything getting into any of our business as much. I like to keep them out as much as I can. So, you know, I don't want any regulations by no means put forth on that. Um, But I think it just comes back to, to, the safety and basically common sense. I mean, if you're going to hunt a big group like that and you know, everybody knows each other and so forth, um, I don't know. I don't know if I agree with it or not. Um, I've done it before. I don't do it too much nowadays. I try to keep my groups to five, seven people max. Um, that's about all we want to have in a whole. Uh, but I do think it does put more pressure on the ducks than it should be. But Kind of like a dove field, you go in the dove field and you have 100 guns in there, 50 guns in there, whatever it's going to be. And yeah, the next day you come back and there's not a dove in sight or you might have a few few singles coming in there, but they're pretty much gone. It does put a lot of pressure on the birds. And of course, that many guns going off is, you know, everybody knows two weeks after the season or even a day after the season starts. You'll hear a shotgun go off and you'll see the birds just kind of climb up in there. They'll just rise above that shot. So anything we can do as sportsmen to prolong the sport and to make the sport more enjoyable and to make it, you know, better for the next guy is what we should be doing. Is that not party hunting? I don't know. But uh, I don't think there's certain things that, they're they're doing that these different functions or how should put this contest or whatever that they're doing as far as on a duck and stuff like that uh, to see how many ducks you can kill or see how many you know how fast you can get back for a duck. I don't I don't believe in that. I don't I don't think that you should put a bounty on a duck's head, um, you know, for a prize, be, being that they're natural and uh, they're wild animals, but. I don't know. I don't know exactly. I'd have to think about that. But at the end of the day, I'd say probably probably getting back to natural is probably hunting smaller groups and probably not 
hunting larger groups. And but but I, by no means do I want to make the government put another restriction out there for everybody and say, hey, which what you can and cannot do, because we have enough of that going on nowadays. I agree 100 percent. I'm just wondering as hunters and advocates and ambassadors of this sport and heritage and lifestyle and blessing that we think before we do stuff like that. It's just. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. the. I don't know the fun in that, like. Four or five guns, six guns. I've had seven guns. It's a lot, man. It's a oh, it lot. Is. With those lesser groups coming to your decoy spreads in Kansas or Saskatchewan or Oklahoma, and you light into them, man, you'll kill 25, 30 birds in a go. It's well, powerful. it kind of comes back to kind of comes back to okay, the 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 state laws or you can only have three shells, right? Three shells, two in your magazine, one in your chamber, right? Right. So you hunt 16, 17, 20 guys in a hole. It's really no different than having your gun unplugged at the end of the day because, you know, what's 20 times three, 60 shots go off in one whack. That's like having five or six guys. What would that be? How many 30 shots have you got a gun unplugged? How many guys would it take that with guns unplugged to amount to that 60 shots? You're talking about You're a good it. math guy. You're talking about if everybody has a legal uh, two in the magazine and one in the chamber. No, so on a Benelli, right? Yeah, Benelli Super Black Eagle. How many? If you take your plug out, how many can you fit? Three and one. Gun? Is it three and one? Yeah, a lot of guns are four and one. Okay, so four and one. That's five shots. So five divided by sixty. Twelve, or 12. sixty divided by five is twelve. Yeah. Is this Louisiana math? Where are we going with this? What I'm going with that is, is that if you had unplugged guns, 12 people can sit out there with unplugged guns versus 20 guns going off would amount up to the same amount of shots going off. The way that I look at it is we're, we're shooting this many times at a flock of snow geese in February through April. No plugs in the guns. Nine, 10 rounds going off per flock if you get them in tight enough. Most guys unload on them anyway even when they're going away at 70 yards, which is bewildering yeah. to me, that they can't discipline themselves not to. Ammo's in a shortage. Chill out. But we're trying. We're trying to put a dent in that population. So if your mindset is that the more shooters, we're going to kill them when they're in this peanut field, you're putting a dent in that population. When you very easily could go out there and kill four or five limits and be fine on a hunt. And watch the magic unravel. Now, an outfitter has to keep his clients happy. I heard stories this year where outfitters were combining and working together and bringing like one outfitter and this outfitter and this other outfitter. Three outfitters were bringing their groups into one field because the, the ducks or geese were in there. Could be hearsay, but I got pretty good sources. Um, are we trying to put a dent in the mallard population? No, we're trying to preserve it. We're trying to make it to where every season is fun and we build on it. But I think this whole mindset of their, the migration's changing, the seasons are slower, it's never a good winter. When people get a chance to get them and they get that mentality that we're mad at them. So let's take it out on the birds, which to me, that's not what the hunt's about. Now, I'm not going to sit here. I'm like you. I don't want people intervening with my hunt. And I'm not trying to tell somebody to hunt. It's just a, another thought I'm having of, is there too many to put in a group? When ducks and geese are working, don't you want to know sometimes what birds you killed? Don't you want Always. to know? Don't you want to know Always. sometimes what birds your son killed? 
Um, I don't know. I just look at it like these groups are gigantic, man. I'll send you some pictures that I was getting sent to me. You're like, damn it, guys. Isn't enough enough? Like that's a lot of education. All those birds that get away are never going to go into a decoy spread again. They just got told it's a 21 gun salute. If you come up in here, not up in here. And that's, that's a weird mindset. Like do your, do what you want to do. Do you, but think about it first. Like, man, as an outfitter, you're not doing the birds and the heritage and the culture of this game, any favors in my opinion. Well, this, it kind of gets back to the same thing I was saying about the corn, you know, or about the, you know, basically unharvested crops. Okay. So you might have, you might be having your good days right now. But your bad days are coming. And the same thing with the outfitters is you might be making money right now. You might be having clients and a hoorah and happy and happy clients coming through. But eventually, eventually, all good things come to an end if that continues on. And so what I mean is, is that eventually you're going to have it to where you're not having birds coming to wherever you might be hunting at. And then you're suffering. So you got to space things out. You got to space things out. And like, like you said, no. Do I like going and shooting into a group? Do I like to know the bird that I kill? Yes. Do I like my little girl to know what, what bird she killed at and what she shot at and so forth? Yes. There's, that's the whole part of the hunt is saying, man, dude, look, awesome shot, Chad. Awesome shot, you know. That's what it's all about, but I don't care what anybody says. It doesn't take any kind of skill level to put 20 guns into a group of mallards and knock down 20 birds or 30 birds or whatever. Zero. Because you're basically like a cannon full of pellets just shooting out there. You're going to hit something. You're going to eventually make contact with something. Now, to get them in there, yeah. But I, don't, I, I can leave my shotgun at home. I really can. I don't care about shooting as much as I do about basically calling them in and getting them tight and getting them close. Wait wait a minute, though, Chris. There's 200 BBs in a three-inch number three, let's say. Yeah. That's 600 per gun. Five guys. That's 3,000 BBs coming out just with five guys. I've done that. I do it on TV. I'm all about party hunting. Yeah. You're going to, you're good. You're, you're killing them ethically. You're getting them in there tight and they're designed to be killed with a shotgun, just like a turkey is to all those guys that girls that shoot turkeys with bow and arrows. That's the craziest thing I've ever seen. That's nuts. That's not fun at all. We got to stop that. <laughs> what? <Chat. What's laughs> shooting them with bow and arrows? Yeah, I can't stand it. They're meant to be killed with a shotgun, a 12 gauge, maybe a TSS 20, but come on, a bow and arrow on a turkey or a goose. No, I love Fred Eichler. He's one of my heroes, but don't shoot geese with a bow. They're meant to be killed with a shotgun, period. So is a turkey. Um, just another fact, I guess, opinion, opinionated fact. Um, I don't know. For a man to shoot a duck's head off with a bow and arrow, dude, yeah, that, that takes is, a level of skill. That is almost impossible, unless you land hey, them. Hey, Rusty Trissy does it all the time over there at Coke Coldwoods. And, and, and Tyler Merritt, they've shot him in Coke Coldwoods. They're meant to shoot Go with ahead. a shot. They're meant to be shot with a shotgun. I agree. Okay, back to what I'm saying, though, is that we're still putting a lot of pellets out there. So the mindset is, when is enough enough? If you call in a group of ducks and you get them tight 
with all this dry land hunting that's going on, you can get ducks tight. And it's hard to get ducks tight in timber. They get down below the skirt and they just start to just like skirt out, right? They Not the skirt. When they get down below the canopy of the trees, they just start to spread out. Two might go here. Five might go here. It's very rare that you see 20 of them finish right where you want them to, right? They're, they're, they're scattered a lot of the times. Um, oh, yeah. You could get them over mojos in a cornfield or a peanut field or a rice field in Canada. I'm talking squared up, bellies up, 50 of them right there. Like one shot's going to kill three of them. Okay, so when is enough enough? We've hunted with seven guys before. I've hunted goose hunts with seven, eight guys. That's a lot. It's a lot of guns going off. But who's to say what's enough is enough? I'm simply saying, isn't eight enough? Is it is seven enough? What's the right number? I've seen pictures in Arkansas with 15 guys in timber. First of all, I would think that's dangerous as shit with all of the different angles of the trees, but I guess you can make it not dangerous. The way you are, though, you'd have you know how many times as many times as you move around and move your hunters around on, oh my God, it's doing this. That's I mean, one duck doesn't do it, and you're like, did you see the episode from this year in Arkansas with Chase Outlaw when me and you're arguing? They left it in there of us arguing. I thought it was hilarious. It's funny, man. You're like, you're telling me that, and I'm like, oh God. Chase is like, this is like being at cheerleader camp. (laughs) But what I'm saying is, when is enough enough? It's just a conversation. I don't want yeah. things to change. I just want duck hunters to use their 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 best of like, if I see ducks going into a peanut field in Arkansas, seven guys, that's good. Yeah. That's good. That's what, 35 mallards? I think it's a five bird limit, five or six bird limit. 35 or 42 mallards? Seven times six are in Louisiana, seven 42. times four. Yeah, look at that, quick. It's either 35 or 42 ducks, whether it's five or six for your limit, two hens. But again- there's stray pellets. Are they catching one, you know, crippling one that's on its way out, breaking a wing? You know, this is I think all- if you're making ethical kills, I think if you're making ethical kills, you're getting them tight, you're fooling them, you're not shooting as they're going away. What if 50 of them are right? Hey, I mean, I don't know, man. I don't know the answer to that. I really don't. I just think, I think we're doing, I think we're doing so many things wrong nowadays that we used to not do and and things are changing and evolving and it's not to say it's wrong that it's like it's it's against the law um you're just wanting to do it wrong i think people get caught up in a moment nowadays same thing with pictures you know everybody's all all they care about is making a picture i can care less about a picture but i got that memory everybody goes around they're taking you see these people going to places and they're taking pictures of their kids but why not just let it sink in? Not why not just take it in and remember that moment. And I think everybody is all worried about pictures. Everybody's always worried about, you know, looking the part and so forth. And just let it all sink in and take it in and say, hey, look, I'm out here and I'm enjoying what I do. I'm enjoying what I, I'm doing, what I love, you know, and I don't know if it's right or wrong. I really don't. Well, but um, the picture deal is the picture deal is there's different mindsets. Like we're building a brand with jargon. Yeah, we, yeah, we want no. we want to take like I just got a whole photo shoot of you in the woods after duck season doing pictures. I understand what you're saying. Like, don't, I'm talking about don't, these big party hunts, yeah, with big pictures of mallards. Hey, we look at the 50 right. mallards we killed. We don't need That's that. What I'm talking. Don't about. don't live through that lens. Like, don't yeah. think that that picture of all these mallards is going to make a real duck hunter go. Man, those guys are really good duck hunters. We know what's up. 
We know what's up in yeah. a peanut field with mojos. You don't even need to call at them. I've said it on TV. Right. I just call because I want to feel like I'm part of the hunt. Really, it's just Mother Nature and the mojos doing work. It really is. And hopefully they come out before shooting hours is up. Because a lot of these mallards are nocturnal because we're letting so many guns go off in their face during daylight hours. So so you think the mojos were going, the hunting, the killing would probably get pretty bad or it would, it would slow down? No, I think mojos are awesome. I think that in a dry field. I know. That's what I'm I, saying. I, I, think, think in a, I think in a dry field, if you don't have a mojo, you're pissing in the wind. For, if you got four or five, it's better. Four or five, you're going to center them up. Big peanut fields, 90-acre peanut field or whatever, they're going to go land over there. They, they might skirt you a little bit with some screw, with some good, heavy, loud calling and some decoys. You might finish some, but not nearly what you're going to finish with a mojo. Canada, those big time freaking eight, you know, those quarter sections, mojos get their attention and center them up for you. Dry field the hunting. Canada's? And no, Ballard's in Canada. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I, I, I think, think. I think dry field hunting, your success rate goes down 90% without spinning wings for ducks. It's it's a hundred percent if you got them going for Canada geese or specs, yeah. they're not coming into them deals. Vortexes yeah. vortexes will work on a duck or a snow, but a spinning wing ain't going to work on a snow or a Canada. You, some of them are going to do it. Don't get me wrong. Some of them eat it up still, but they they don't like them. So I just think that what you're saying about the pictures, I love a photo of my daughter picking up decoys, but I don't need to strap a thirty mallards around her neck to make the hunt. So that's, that's what I'm saying. That's, that's what, what I, know. I mean. And I get that. And I think it's a great point. Hold on. That's another great point by Chris Cifrio. <laughs> you hear that young duck? Totally cut out. And it's all cutting out? It, oh. it started and then it just cut out. cut out. It's all out. Yep. Man, we need to make better duck calls that don't cut out. <laughs> well, anyway, that was another good point by the one and it's only the Chris Cifrio. The pitch. Speaking of pitch, it's spring training. I've been paying attention. There's a lot of good baseball being played right now. I got some good baseball players coming up on this Life Ain't For Everybody podcast. Just had one with Josh Hader, the closer for the Brewers with the long hair. Closer of the year the last two years in 18 and 19. Obviously, COVID, they didn't have one, but freaking man. The man throwing I gas. The, uh, I watched the video on a pitcher, and I can't remember who, who he was playing for, but they basically kept checking. They came out and checked his glove for Tor, Pine Tor. And he didn't have pine tar, but what he kept on doing is every time he would sit back and pitch, he'd go like this, look. And he'd just rub his glove. And he was basically just getting in their head that he had pine tar. And he striked like 13 people out, basically had a, a you know, a no-hitter for 13 guys. And uh, they finally came out there. The head coach for the other team finally said, hey, go check his glove. And they came out there and checked his glove, checked his hands and everything, no tar, nothing. And went on and, and kept on pitching. But he says, he said, they asked him to interview him after the game. They says, I mean, did that bother you that they came out? He's like, no, nah, it actually made me start pitching even better. I, I really just sank in and just locked in. This was just now in I, spring training? Huh? This was just now in spring training, during spring training? I don't know what it was. Though. I'm trying to think where I saw that well, find, video. At. Find it and try to send it to me. Yeah, I'll send it to you. But anyways, it was just pretty cool because he he said that's what got him rocking and rolling. He just locked him in that hey, look, they think I'm that good, 
And I, I'm, I'm that good because I don't even have pine tour, and I'm basically strike. He was throwing knuckleballs, curveballs, so forth. Just up, getting nasty. Up your butt, Joe Boo. <laughs> He's yeah. like, Barbasol, you got to watch Major League, Chris. You got to watch the Major League movie. You've seen it, I'm sure, y'all. Huh? Have you seen well, Major, Major League? Uh-uh. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Do they got TVs where you live? Man, I barely even watch TV. I can't watch, stay in front of the TV does this cut for a long period of time. I didn't cut out right there. Cutting out. Comes back in and out, in and out. That's so weird. What about this? Well, it started hmm. and then it went out. I got to figure that out. Anyway, it's that's the another. same thing. We look. Cuts out. It's something about we need to get with we need to get with Apple and figure out what's going on. I got the best microphones in the world in this podcast studio. It wasn't cutting out when we were doing our pre-check, were we? No. Hold on, I know why. This is why right here. Tell me now. Nope. Didn't cut out? Nope. Okay, here we go. Chris just said something really, really, really smart. Cut out now. Nah, I give up. How about this? <laughs> Cut out. It's crazy. It's crazy. That's another episode of the Foul Life Podcast. Today's episode, we're going to pick up this discussion where we left off another day. Chris joins us quite frequently here at the Foul Life Podcast. The Foul Life TV brought to you by Benelli Season 13, starting July 2nd, 2021, exclusively on the Outdoor Channel. Brand new episodes of the Foul Life TV coming your way. See these jargon calls in action. Thank you for the support of all of our podcasts. The foul life, this life ain't for everybody and where the payment ends. The provider, American Almond Beef, Jargon, our duck calls. Get yourself a new J-Frame or one of the originals, the small talk, the loudmouth. You will be more than satisfied. Our customer base is growing rapidly and we couldn't be more fired up for what's coming. Hopefully some of our messaging made sense today. Thank you, Gerber for always supporting our efforts here at all of our brands. Chris is wearing that real tree timber banded jacket, banded amazing apparel. It's awesome, ain't it? Isn't it the best? Yeah, it there ain't nothing like it. Are you banded? Better believe it. Banded brands blowing a duck call, wearing timber, real tree, friends, family outdoors. I saw Tyler Jordan was waxing turkeys in Florida this week with Riley Green and, country music star and Austin Riley stud infielder for the Atlanta Braves hits bombs. I gave him a couple hitting lessons once. He really looked like he knows what he's doing. <laughs> That's right. Austin. I mean, I was texting with Austin earlier today. He's a badass. He's going to be on the foul. He's going to come film with us this coming fall. So be ready, Chris. Need you on your A game. Hey, Austin, move over here. Austin, it's windy now. Move over here. Austin, hide your face. Austin, come over here. Austin, don't pull the jerk string so much. Austin, hide your dog. Austin, just go get in the boat and go home, Austin, all right? I could just hear it now. Chris Cifrio and his dog. <laughs> I mean, duck some people can't get right, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's been another episode of the Foul Eye Podcast. Thank you all so much for the subscriptions, the downloads. Chris, any closing words? No, I think next episode we need to talk politics. <laughs> Oh, another smart thing you said. Hold on. 
Did that cut out? No. Yeah. What about? No, that makes me wonder. Look, real quick. That makes me wonder if uh, I open my door. No, it didn't cut out. Yeah. Now they cut out. Go closer to the door. Get way out in the door. <clears throat> no, we're driving the audience nuts now. It's cutting out. Come back over here. Yeah, we got to figure this out. Sounds so good when it's not cutting out. <clears throat> hey, I got something else for you to try eating. We're trying to end this podcast episode, but you got to try one of these deals here. Look at this. You have one of them suckers yet? Look at that, Jack. That's the Man, new. I've been, uh, getting, I've been uh, asking to send a few of them Jack links. I just hey, what, I'm we, checking my mail every day. Original rotisserie chicken strip, though. I'm talking that. That is it good? That sucker right there is good, boy. Really? Oh, man. Hey, um, remind me tomorrow on a text. I'll ship you some Jack Links. All right. I know a guy. Any more closing I words? Definitely, I definitely need to start. Have you? Did you put some on during duck season? Did I? Did you? Did I? Is Ashley about ready to move out? <laughs> you know, it's bad when... Uh, when your girls look at you, your little she girl. She agrees to get a treadmill. <laughs> did she really? Yeah. Cause she started yeah, working out and, like crazy, and, and didn't I mean, she? Brand new treadmill. Got it in here, set it up. I think I ran on it twice. And now it's a coat hanger. <laughs> now it's got clothes hanging on it. Chris. I keep saying it's this, I ain't gonna lie, man. I don't know what it is. It's something about working out in cold weather. I can't do it. Oh, it's the best. Get out there and do it. Man, I'm trying. I, I got to be in the warm. It's got to be you've been warm eat, outside. You've been eating that drive-through again over at the Golden Arches. No, the, the other night, uh, my mother-in-law basically made uh, crabs and crawfish stew. How with, can you turn that down? Yeah, with cream, I bet you can't turn crawfish it down. Stew, unbelievable! Fresh crawfish straight from Louisiana. She went down to Louisiana, came back up, fixed the crawfish, the crawfish stew. Did you see the? Uh, did you see my stories the other day when I posted what my brother from another mother in Louisiana shipped me? What was it? Had to have been uh, had to have been the Gator Boys. Nope. Nope. Huh. Okay, so here's what he sent me. Hold on, I'm getting to it. Just give me a second. I'm getting to it. Man, I'm about to go eat one right now, I think. Um, I mean, give me a hint. I'm about to tell you everything. Um, What is the name of the place, though? I want to make sure I got it right. Is it Dawn's? Dawn Seafood. Yeah, but is it is it Dawn's? Yeah, they got a Dawn Seafood down there. Where did it come from? Baton Rouge, New Orleans. Yeah, there it is. Um, Dawn. I believe that's what it was. Let me just look. I just don't want to lie to people. I'm getting it right now. Just, just bear with me. Just bear with me. This place is unbelievable. Hopefully, they're not losing our audience. I'm not trying to. I'm just simply saying that they got to try this place. Y'all are going to thank me later. 
So if you go here, go there. Okay, this it's is loading. what people basically say, losing interest. No, they're not. They're really not. I just can't get anything to load on my phone. I have not paid our internet bill in quite some time. It's crazy. When you want to do, like, if I didn't want to do this right now, it'd be working oh, fine. I know. I know. It would be working fine. Like, literally, it would be working fine. Well, let me see if I can get it real quick. I thought I was supposed to teach you how to blow a duck call in this episode. I needed it. <laughs> okay, I found it. Ready? It's, uh, I'm almost there. Yep, Don's specialty meat. Yeah. Okay, you ready? What he, you ready to hear? What he got me? Boudin. Everything. Listen to this. He got me cracklings in a glass jar. Real easy. I put them in the baking on the cookie sheet and bake them just for like three minutes. Get a little bit of heat on them, but not much. Alligator tenderloin. Five pounds of alligator tenderloin. Boudin and pepper jack egg rolls. Boudin. Boudin. Boudin and pepper jack egg rolls. Five-pound box of 10 to 12 links of boudin. Debone stuffed chicken with crawfish etouffee. Yeah. Seafood boudin. And a smoked boudin. And I got a turducken coming, too. And I'm talking like, I'm going to eat it right now. I'm getting off of here right now. Chris, you hey, go so eat whatever. Let me tell you one thing about oh, the boudin, though. I love thing. boudin. I love cooking boudin. Hey, boudin. You like tenderloin? Pork tenderloin? Yeah, I love it. So take a part tenderloin and basically butterfly, you know, come down the center, open up the sides, rub them down with your rub, go ahead and cook it. And almost when it's done, you basically take that boudin and that part tenderloin, open it up and take that boudin out of the skin, out of the skin that it comes in and just put, put it all down in there. It'll be, and then close it back up and it'll be a stuffed part tenderloin. So take the boudin, <clears throat> but bring it out of the skin. Take it all yeah. out, right? You don't want to eat that skin, right? I mean, it's edible. You can. I mean, when I've when I've triggered it before, I've I've eaten the skin, but it's better without it, right? You take it out and put it on crackers and so. Yeah, I'm gonna go do yeah. it right now. Yeah. It's, so so boudin without the casing, without the skin on it, is better than eating it with the casing. Yeah, the, that guy probably got it from the Scott Cancro exit. It's basically on I-10 going towards Texas. The Scott uh, Kington accent. I'm this sorry. guy make this guy makes the best homemade gumbo I've ever had. Speckle belly legs and speckle belly spec meat up in Canada. I stood around a pot seven hours drinking Bud Light with this guy. Became best friends in like ten minutes. Like literally, I'd kiss the dude if I saw him right now. Did you tell him? I think we're best friends now. Yeah, did we just become best friends? Yeah, and then yeah. Hall and Oates started playing. What I want, you've got, and it might be hard to handle. <laughs> All right, we're going to leave you that with that great song by the Hall Notes, but we're going to go out with another great song. This is 2 a.m. Logic. The song is called My Foul Life. Chris, I'll be in touch. Remind me tomorrow on the Jack Links. Thank you, Gerber. Thank you, Jargon. Thank you, listening audience. Another awesome episode of the Foul Life Podcast. Again, this is 2 a.m. Logic. My Foul Life. Tom, Jake, hit that button. Peace. Peace.